0: The following audio is from Shady Grove Presbyterian Church in Rockville, Maryland. Our mission is to follow Jesus Christ and labor for his kingdom both in our area and around the world. For more information about Shady Grove Presbyterian Church, please follow our Facebook page and visit shadygrovepca.org. Well, we're looking at this great story of David and Goliath, one of my favorite stories of the Bible, and I'm sure for many of you, a favorite story of the Bible. And if you back out a little bit from the story, it begins, 1 Samuel begins with Hannah, and Hannah's prayer. And Hannah was not able to have children, if you remember, she was barren. And she cried out to God for a child, and God heard her prayer. And Hannah gave birth to Samuel. Shema El, Samuel. God has heard, or God hears, literally. And 1 Samuel 2 records Hannah's prayer, and <clears throat> her prayer is very similar to Mary's song and Mary's prayer in Luke 1 about Jesus. And the theme of both of those psalms, or songs, is this. Those who humble themselves will be exalted, and those who exalt themselves will be will be humbled. Sound familiar? Jesus says that several times. Well, Hannah's prayer says, and this is important, that you catch this. She prays and says, there's none holy like the Lord. There's none beside you. There's no rock like our God. Talk no more so very proudly. Let not arrogance come from your mouth. For the Lord is a God of knowledge, and by him actions are weighed. The bows of the mighty are broken, but the feeble bind on strength. And what Hannah literally says is, no more tall talk. No more tall talk. You ever heard somebody talk? That's some tall talk you got. And her her prayer is literally, talk no more so very proudly, but it's a play on words of this tall talk. Because there's some tall people in 1 Samuel that are going to get humbled. And that's the whole point of 1 Samuel, is the tall talk. There's one guy whose head is taller than everybody else. And he's so tall, and it's a play on words because he's going to go to this tall hill and bend over and fall down on a sword and die. But the tall get humbled in First Samuel as she prayed, and so Samuel or Saul would become the king of Israel. And certainly he looked like the king. He played the part. He's a head taller than everybody else. But God rejected Saul because he was disobedient. He was unfaithful on many levels. And what Saul cared about most was what himself. He even made a monument, big tall monument to tall, tall, tall Saul. He's so cool. He was obsessed with himself, and God brought him down. And instead, God told Samuel, go to Jesse's house and anoint him with oil. Anoint one of his sons, the one whom I'll show you. And so Samuel went to this town called Bethlehem. Anybody ever heard of Bethlehem? Well, that's where Samuel went. He went to find this obscure son of Jesse, and Jesse brings out his son, and when Samuel sees Eliab, and as my grandfather reminded me, that's my name spelled backwards, last name. He sees Eliab and he says, surely the Lord's anointed is before him, because he was nice and tall. And the most important verse in 1 Samuel is 1 Samuel sixteen seven. The Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or the height of his stature because I've rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. And so no more tall talk. And Eliab is ruled out as well. Instead, God chose the youngest, the one he's like, well, I've got one other son, but he's, he's keeping the sheep. And the Bible says that David was anointed with oil in the midst of his brothers. And we are told that the spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. We may say it was very similar to Jesus' baptism where the spirit comes down on Jesus. Well, how might God use David after anointing him in the midst of his brothers? Is there some tall talk that he might use David to take care of? Is there somebody taller than Saul that he might have to bring down? Who might that be? A guy by the name of Goliath. And that's where we're at in the story. Next chapter, 1 Samuel 17. Now the Philistines gathered their armies for battle. And they were gathered at Soka, which belongs to Judah, and encamped between Soka and Azepka in Ephes-Demim. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered and camped in the valley of Allah and drew up line of battle against the Philistines. And the Philistines stood on the mountain on the one side and Israel stood on the mountain on the other side with a valley between them. And there came out from the camp of the Philistines A champion named Goliath of Gath whose height was six cubits and a span he's nine foot six that's pretty tall wouldn't you say it's a Zion Williamson and take another half and add him on top and then you got Goliath okay he's a big guy he had a helmet of bronze on his head and he was armed with a coat of mail And the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. He had bronze armor on his legs and a javelin of bronze slung between his shoulders. The shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam. And his spear's head weighed 600 shekels of iron. And his shear bearer went before him. He stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why have you come out to draw up for battle? Am I not a Philistine and are you not servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. If he's able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistine said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. And when Saul and his army heard these words of the Philistines, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Can you picture the scene? On the mountains, you've got Israel's troops on one side, and on the other mountain, you've got the Philistine troops, and down between them is the big theater, is the big stadium, is the valley, and that's where the big battle would be fought and there'd be lots of bloodshed and death. But nobody wanted to go down into the valley because in a war, you always want what? What? The high ground. And if either troop would have come down to the bottom, the other side would have attacked and won a great victory. But neither side was moving. And so sometimes they would have representational warfare where they'd have one guy to represent the whole army so they could save some bloodshed. You send down your best, we'll send down our best, and we'll both watch. And whoever wins, wins for all. And whoever loses, loses for all. That's what we have here. The only problem was the Philistines sent down their guy, and what happened to the other side? I mean, we've got some mighty people over here. We've got Saul. We got Abner, a man of war, and we got Jonathan who won a great battle in 1 Samuel 14. Where are they? They're scared. They are greatly afraid and none of them are moving and neither is any of Eliab, Shema, Abinadab, any of those brothers, are they moving? No way. They see nine foot six is what they see and all that armor. As Trump would say, he's huge. And so a warrior like Goliath would have had this iron coat of mail, a copper helmet, greaves of brass for his legs, and a weapon of spear with a very heavy iron head, and I brought a little prop for you, if I can pull this thing out here without getting hurt. This is a 10-pound tamping bar. Now, the head, we're told the head of the spear, of Goliath's uh, spear, was 15 pounds 15 pounds, this is 10 pounds. I can barely even extend it out and hold it. I mean, anybody think they can just come out here and hold it with one hand and hold that out? Imagine the end being 15 pounds and him waving that thing around. Let me give you a translation. He had tree trunks for legs and his arms would be massive branches and he could hold something out like this like it was no problem. And so everybody sees this great man of war and what are they? afraid, greatly afraid, and be careful with one of these, this is how I got some stitches earlier this year, (laughs) I was doing my firewood at my house, and there's these huge logs that were dropped, and the only way to split them apart after you sledge and wedge them, they don't split apart, is you got to crank them, Well, I was cranking, and it slipped, hit me right in the head, four stitches later, I'm all good. All right, so the Philistines have their guy, but Israel does not have their guy. They are scared. Now, this guy, Goliath, is a leftover giant. Put this, tie this together for a minute. And this is why we have the grasshopper syndrome, the paralysis analysis, is that Goliath was a leftover giant from the giants in the book of Numbers. Do you remember In Numbers 12, it says that the spies were sent into the promised land. And when they went into the promised land, they came back and they reported what? There are giants in the land and we seem like grasshoppers compared to them. And we're told that the giants in Numbers 13 were sons of Anak. And Joshua 11 tells us that a few of the Anakims, These sons of Anak remained, but they were over in a place called Gath. And we learn in in this book that Goliath was from where? From Gath. And now we have grasshopper syndrome all over again. And nobody is coming down the hill to represent Israel. Who would come forward? Well, David was the son of an ropphyte of Bethlehem and Judah named Jesse, who had eight sons, and in the days of Saul, the man was already old and advanced in years. The three oldest sons of Je- Jesse had followed Saul to the battle, and the name of his three sons who went to the battle were Eliab the firstborn, and next to him Abinadab and the third Shema. David was the youngest. The three eldest followed Saul, but David went back and forth from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. For 40 days, the Philistine came forward and took his stand morning and evening. And Jesse said to, to David, his son, take, take for your brothers and of this parched grain and these 10 loaves and carry them quickly to the camp of your brothers. <clears throat> also, take these 10 cheeses to the commander of their thousand, see if your brothers are well and bring some token from them. Now Saul and they and all the men of Israel were in the valley of Allah fighting with the Philistines and David rose early in the morning and left the sheep with a keeper and took the provisions and went as Jesse had commanded him. He came to the encampment as the host was going out to the battle, battle line shouting the war cry and Israel and the Philistines drew up for battle army against army and David left the things in charge of the keeper of the baggage and ran to the ranks and went and greeted his brothers And as he talked with him, behold, the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, came up out of the ranks of the Philistines and spoke the same words as before. And David heard him and all the men of Israel, when they saw the man fled from him and were much afraid, kind of like the last place where I stopped afraid. Isn't it interesting that that David wasn't looking for some giant to fight? David wasn't looking to be the king of Israel. David wasn't looking to play the harp in Saul's court. David came to the battlefield to run an errand for his dad, to bring his brothers some food and to bring some token back. What's interesting is what happened. What does David notice? See, he notices everybody flees from this giant, and they're very much afraid But what David notices is not Goliath's height, not his strength, not his armor. What he notices is what he hears. In verse 23, it just simply says, And David heard him. And what he hears is an attack against the God of Israel. And David takes this personally because he worships the God of Israel and he loves the God of Israel and he's been anointed by the God of Israel through the prophet Samuel. And his God is being mocked by this uncircumcised Philistine. And who does this giant think he is to defy God, the God of Israel? And the men of Israel said, Have you seen this man who's come up? Surely he's come up to defy Israel. And the king will enrich the man who kills him with great riches and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. And David said to the man who stood by him, what shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? I mean, where's the, where's, what's the prize? You know, I've been to the post office. I see the poster. I see the help wanted, you know, David wants to know what's the prize here, right? who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And the people answered him in the same way. So shall it be done to the man who kills him. Now Eliab, his elder brother, heard what he spoke to the men, and Eliab's anger was kindled against David. And he said, why have you come down? And with whom have you left these few sheep in the wilderness? I know your presumption and the evil of your heart, for you've come down to see the battle. You just want a cheap seat. And David said, what have I done now? Was it not but a word? And he turned away from him toward another and spoke in the same way. And the people answered him again as before. And when the words that David spoke were heard, they repeated them before Saul. And he sent for him. And David said to Saul, let let not no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight this Philistine. And Saul said to David, you're not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him for you're but a youth and he's been a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant used to keep sheep for his father and when there came a lion or a bear and he took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth And if he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them for he has defied the armies of the living God. And David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. David is the only one Who rightly understands that to defy Israel, verse 25, is to defy the armies of the living God. You see, he's the one who gets it. We are God's people. God's people are being mocked by this Philistines. He's mocking God. God cannot be mocked. God will defend his honor in his name. This isn't a battle of me and you. This is a battle of your God. You think your God is greater than my God. And David wants to know what is the reward for who will take away this reproach from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Now, it's interesting as David goes forward with this great courage, great faith, it isn't without taking some licks and some some blows, And often the people that are closest from you, whenever you try to lead, there will be people that criticize. And the first criticism is from his oldest brother. His oldest brother gives that pointed sibling attack. His brother is is quite demeaning. It's quite the put-down, isn't it? He wants to know, well, who did you leave those few sheep in the wilderness? You just take care of a few sheep. What are you doing here anyway? I know the presumption. And the evil of your heart. And yet, all we see screaming from Eliab is presumption and evil. There is pride in the foremost. Whenever you think you know somebody's motives, repent of your pride because you typically haven't a clue. But you think you know. Well, I know I'm, I'm a good reader of people. That's what Eliab thought he was. And it's projection, it's exactly him. He's the one who's evil. He's the one full of presumption that he thinks he knows why David has, has come. It reminds me of somebody else who came from Bethlehem and, and his own brothers misunderstood him and didn't believe in him. Do You guys know who that was? Jesus. And you see, David could have replied like any normal sibling, what would you have said if you were the sibling here and your oldest brother said to him, I know you have just come down to see the battle. Oh, really? What battle? What battle are you talking about? I mean, it's been 40 days, big guy, and all you guys are sitting on your head. There is no battle. But he doesn't say that. I mean, that's what you just be screaming to cry out. I mean, what, what battle are you talking about? There's no battle. But he doesn't say that. Next, he takes on Saul, and Saul basically says, thanks, but no thanks. Are you crazy? This is a man of war from youth, and you are but a youth. And David's reply in verse 34 to 36 doesn't make any sense until you get the commentary and explanation of verse 37. Verse 37 of 1 Samuel 17 explains David's courage. It explains verse 34 to 36 because he recognizes that God is with him and God has delivered him and will deliver him again. God has delivered him from the paw of the bear and the paw of the lion. And he will deliver me from this Philistine as well. Otherwise, it doesn't make any sense to have this kind of courage to leave these few sheep. Well, when he was taking care of those few sheep, he took on some pretty big animals, did he not? And so Saul says, Well, then go and God be with you. So then Saul clothed David with his armor. He put a helmet of bronze on his head and clothed him with a coat of mail and David strapped his sword over his armor and he tried in vain to go for he had not tested them. Then David said to Saul, I cannot go with these for I have not tested them. So David put them off. Then he took his staff in his hand and he chose five smooth stones from the brook and he put them in his shepherd's pouch. His sling was in his hand and he approached the Philistine. And the Philistine moved forward and came near to David with his shield-bearer in front of him. And when the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth, ruddy and handsome in appearance. And the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. The Philistine said to David, Come to me. And I'll give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field. Then David said to the Philistines, you come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. But David quickly sees that that's not gonna work. Saul dresses up David, fits him in this armor. Must have been quite a humorous scene. He's all decked out and all this stuff. And he quickly discards it because it won't work. He's never used it, I'm sure it's too big. And it was not what he was trusting in. So David makes an exchange. He exchanges a sword and armor for a staff and five smooth stones, and he puts them in this nice magazine clip called "A Shepherd's Pouch." <laughs> Boy, and that's something. His mama probably made it for him, you know? Now, think about this for a minute. As these two start to come down from the mountain, you've got the philistine coming down. He's nine foot six. He's decked out with all of this armor. He's got his armor bearer in front of him. He's got this javelin spear, 15 pounds. I mean, the guy is just massive. And on the other side of the hill, coming down, is what? I want you to think about how it looked like from both sides. You're looking over and you're a Philistine and you see David coming down. I mean, the memes and the, and the gifs would have abounded, right? Oh, check it out. The shepherd's pouch. <laughs> I mean, they are cracking up. This guy is coming down with a slingshot and a shepherd's pouch and a staff against Goliath. I mean, is this not the craziest thing in the world? What does God use for weapons? This guy's coming down with a shepherd's pouch. <laughs> he exchanged his armor for that. It's just it's crazy. But now I want you to think about it from the other side. You're over there, and you're you're Israel, and you're seeing this guy start walking down the hill, and you realize he represents us. This is this this is our guy. What what are you saying to your buddy? What in the world is Saul thinking? Saul picked out this guy, and this is the armor that he's going to go and fight us with. Are you crazy? I mean, you're thinking this is, this is it. We're dead meat. This has got to be a joke. Well, God has a strange way of silencing tall talk, doesn't he? You see, so embarrassing and shameful, kind of like a placard that Pilate made that said, King of the Jews. And all who passed by mocked Jesus and said, If you're the Son of God... You save yourself. Can't you save yourself? What are you, what are you doing up there? You're embarrassing. You're an embarrassment to the Jews. But God has a way of silencing tall talk, doesn't he? And so here, this scene is, is we still haven't gotten to the battle. And these two have, have their taunts and David gives, or Philistine gives his taunt, and then David gives his taunt, and it's like, it's like a, a big, you know, whenever there's a big boxing match, you know, a big UFC match, you know, they bring out the cameras, and they bring these two, and then you've got, you know, Drago over here, and he's looking down on Rocky, and Rocky's looking up at him, and, and he says, I must break you, you know, and he says, go for it, you know, and, and you're thinking, I should have been a screenwriter, because that's some really bad, uh, anyway, from... <laughs> But that's what you have here, okay? You have, this is classic taunting before the fight. This is, after all, a contest. And the way to understand this chapter is the word defy. It's used in verse 10, 25, 26, 36, and 45. Five times the word defy is used. Because Goliath is defying God. And that's what has motivated David, this is what is incensed him or made him angry and propelled him and pushed him out to the battlefield. And David makes clear what he's gonna do, how he's gonna do it, and why he's gonna do it in his taunt. He says, I'm gonna strike, down, strike you down and cut off your head. That's what I'm going to do and how I'm going to do it is without a sword or without a spear for the battle is the Lord and why he's doing it is because you have defied the armies of the living God and God himself will vindicate his name that all the world may know that there's a God in Israel. And so Goliath sees him coming and he curses him by his gods. But David is not impressed by Goliath. He's possessed with zeal for the honor of Jehovah. And so his, his taunt gets to the point in verses 45 to 47. You have defied the armies of the living God. And though you come with all your impressive weapons, sword and spear, I, David isn't trusting in those things. He just wants the world to know that God saves without a sword, without a spear, for the battle is the Lord's. Well, now past all the prelim, preliminaries, the pregame fight hype, now we can say, let's get ready to rumble. When the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine, and David put his hand in his bag and took out a stone and slung it and struck the Philistine on his forehead. The stone stone sank into his forehead, and he fell on his face to the ground. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. There was no sword in the hand of David. Then David ran and stood over the Philistine and took his sword and drew it out of the sheath and killed him and cut off his head with it. When the Philistines saw that their, their champion was dead, they fled and all the men of Israel and Judah rose with a shout and pursued the Philistines as far as Gath and the ga- gates of Ekron so that the wounded Philistine fell on the way from Sharaim as far as Gath and Ekron. And the people of Israel came back from chasing the Philistines and they plundered their camp. And David took the head of the Philistine and brought it to Jerusalem but put his armor in his tent. The battle didn't last long, did it? I meant to bring the that was easy button to push from the the office there. But, you know, you push it, that was easy. I mean, he just, he took a stone from his shepherd's pouch. What you see here is commentary on Proverbs 18.10. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run to it and are safe. David could run to the battle knowing the Lord would vindicate himself against the one who mocked his name. And David's stone didn't bounce off his head. There was no ricochet. It sank into his forehead. The sound of that stone hitting his forehead must have been the most incredible silencing stone thud that you'd ever heard, followed by an even louder nine foot six guy weighing probably 450 pounds, maybe more, plunking, probably more than that. Andre the Giant was seven foot four and a half, and in his fighting wrestling days, which really wasn't fighting, he was 595 pounds, okay? So this guy was bigger than that probably. But all that tall talk, He fell face forward, meaning when that stone sunk into his head, he's either out cold or already dead, and he falls forward. The bigger they are, the harder they fall. And so we're told that David won this battle without a sword or a spear. God doesn't need all those things to win a battle. God uses strange weapons, doesn't he, to silence tall talk. God once used a spear to win his greatest battle along with nails and a tree and a crown of thorns. And the spear that was thrust into Jesus' side and out gushed water and blood to verify that Jesus was dead, dead. The spear piercing his side was to fulfill a prophecy of scripture that says, they will look on him whom they have pierced. Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, the true and better David, was crucified on a cross where he bled and died for our sins. But in so doing, he destroys the work of the devil. He binds the strong man. He destroys the one who has the power of death. He disarms rulers and authorities. He puts them to open shame by triumphing over them at the cross in him. You see, this contest between Jesus and Satan means everything for us, for our eternal life and victory over sin and death hinges on the life and work of the real hero of the Bible, the anointed one, the Messiah, Jesus Christ. The word anointed is where we get the Hebrew word Messiah and the Greek word Christ. Jesus is the anointed one. And the good news now is that greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world if you put your trust in Jesus. But there's a real battle going on. And the battle is much greater than someone who's nine foot six. Do you know how the Bible describes the evil one? Well, in Revelation 12, it just says, there's a great red dragon with seven heads and 10 horns and on his head, seven diadems and his tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. Well, that's one description. Next chapter, I saw a beast rising out of the sea with 10 horns and seven heads and 10 diadems on its horns and blasphemous names on his heads. And the beast I saw was like a leopard. Its feet were like a bear's and its mouth was like a lion's mouth. And to it, a dragon gave his power and his throne and great authority. And one of his heads seemed to have a mortal wound, but its mortal wound was healed. And the whole earth marveled and they followed the beast. And they worshiped the dragon who had given his authority to the beast. and they worshipped. The beast saying, who's like the beast and who can fight against it? Who would go and fight against that beast? Well, chapter 19, I saw a beast and the kings of the earth with their armies gathered to make war against him who was sitting on the horse and against his army and the beast was captured and with it the false prophet who in its presence had done the signs by which he deceived those who'd received the mark of the beast and those who worshiped its image And these two were thrown alive into the lake of fire that burns with sulfur and the rest were slain by the sword that comes from the mouth of him who's sitting on the horse and all the birds were gorged with their flesh. Sound familiar? And then in Revelation 20 we're told that after the thousand years were ended, Satan will be released from his prison and he'll go out to deceive the nations that are on the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them from the battle Their number is like the sand of the sea. And they marched up over the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city. And here's how this war ends. But fire came down from heaven and consumed them. The devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. And then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. And from his presence, earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before the throne, and the books were opened. And then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. And then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. That's the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found in the the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. So this little battle about David and Goliath is pointing to a much, much bigger battle of eternal realities. There's only one person who can defeat this giant, the devil. Only one who can conquer death. Only one who could come up from the grave and bring those with him who are in Christ. And only one can save us from the judgment and fire. And it's Jesus, Jesus. He's the captain of our salvation, Hebrews 2 says. And he's our captain and we put our trust in him because he has conquered sin and death and the devil himself. Cast yourself upon him because he's the true hero of the Bible. And you'll be saved for eternity. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you have silenced all the tall talk. And we humble ourselves before you, cast ourselves upon you, knowing there's none like you. For you have won the great battle over sin to destroy the works of the devil by paying for our sins on a cross so that the enemy would have no weapons to shoot at us. You have silenced the accuser of the brothers. And we thank you that you've done it with your own blood in such a humble way and we praise you. And we pray that, Lord, we would love you more and more and that we would have zeal like David and courage like David We ask that you'd fill us with your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.